Welcome to the Weekly Benefit Roast, featuring Benefit Indemnity Corporation's president, Roger Bain. Roger has devoted more than 30 years to understanding and developing innovative health benefits plans for large groups and groups as small as five employees. Our moderator is Bob Graham. Take it away, Bob. This is a weekly discussion on health benefits. It's not a sales pitch. It's a back and forth, a chance to talk about health benefits, the good things, your questions, your concerns, comments, uh, you name it, you have this open opportunity. And I will tell you, uh, we have an expert. Roger Bain is a small business owner, just like many of you. And he's been creating uh, health benefit solutions for many years. He's also president of Benefit Indemnity Corporation, which is a national health benefits provider based in Baltimore. And Roger, I can tell you, I've known Roger for almost, I think it's nine, 10 years, and he is one of the most thoughtful, creative, and interesting people when it comes to talking about health benefits. And uh, I, I, I tell this story often, and if you've heard it, I apologize, but I used to be a newspaper reporter covering the insurance industry, and Roger was routinely the guy who could predict what was going to happen with national legislative matters, with local legislative matters, and he became to he became a real go-to source for me for information. So you're going to get to hear some of that today because Roger's going to give some opening comments. And let me just real quick go through some of the housekeeping before we get rolling because it can be a little complicated your first time. You can chat with us because of our audience. It's just easier for us if you would send your questions in the question box. And we'll review them, and I will ask them of Roger. If it's something where we want to get you involved, we will unmute you, and you can have the actual discussion with Roger. But because of a number of people, we may not be able to do that today. You can type in a question or a comment, and we will I will get that to Roger as soon as we get a chance. So with that, I think, Roger, we're probably ready to get started. Thank you, Bob, and good afternoon, everyone. Today, again, as Bob mentioned, we're only going to take a few minutes to really get some highlights of the subject matter and try and get a little bit of exchange from all of you out there in the world that are dealing with these problems every day. But we're going to prime it up and and talk about it a little bit and see what kind of comments we can get. So today, we're really talking about an issue that is pretty important to all of us, and you hear it in the news all the time now, but we're talking about the prescription drug issue, and I'm calling it crisis or salvation because really it seems many times that that's exactly what we're dealing with. Prescription drugs are saving lives every single day, but it's also getting to the point where we're getting to breaking the back of the healthcare system where we just can't afford the costs anymore. And there are some issues to that, and and we have to look at that. So I'm going to talk about something very simply first, the prescription drugs and the power of healing. The gold standard for some diabetic treatment, metformin, comes in a 1,000 milligram tablet, and we're talking about $3,200 for the treatment regimen in a month. And that is an interesting question, because what you have to ask when you look at that brand name that's being prescribed routinely by physicians and in the world of medicine, and you look at the same drug in its generic form, or actually not even in the generic form, but in the 500 milligram tablet, and you take two of them a day instead of one, and you cut your price to $7.30. So the patenting process is, is one of the major flaws in the healthcare system today. 
We'll talk about this over and over as we go out in the world and we look at the cost of prescription drugs and specialty drugs. But come on, take two pills rather than one in a day at that kind of price disparity. The consumer, the customers just don't know this and they really have to. So we have to get on the ball in our educational process and what we do. And we've got to figure out how to solve the problem. So salvation, large doses of ibuprofen, the 800 milligram, basically your maximum prescription dose, tends to upset the stomach in many, many patients. So the cure is to combine 800 milligrams and take a famidine, an antacid or a proton inhibitor. So we do what we need to do to keep the stomach settled, and it costs about $6.17. And yet the crisis is the specialty drug industry and the pharmaceutical drug industry are often prescribing these in a pill that is combined into one pill, and that's called Duexis. And Duexis has a slightly lower dosage of the famidine. It has the 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, but the cost is $2,168 for the same treatment regimen, over-the-counter ibuprofen and famidine of $6 and change. So these kinds of things are what really aggravate our healthcare system and our patients and our consumers because they don't know these things. And oftentimes, physicians prescribing these medications don't know these things. So we have to get to a pharmaceutical benefit manager that looks at these prescriptions and manages and communicates. And of course, you know when, the, when a pharmacy benefit manager communicates with a patient, they immediately think it's the insurance company trying to get out of paying a claim. So we have to deal with those issues as well. So Roger, can I jump in real quick? I've got questions sure. that's relevant. I'm sorry to interrupt. If you can okay. go back a slide real quick. Sure I've can. got two people who are asking me, when you say these costs, so the $6.17 and the $2,168, define what that cost is. Is that the actual cost of the medication or is that the cost that the insurance company pays or the consumer or they and were confused about that? That's the actual cost of the medication for the treatment regimen. So in this case, it's I, I believe it's $6.17 a month versus $2,168 a month. So we're talking about the same treatment regimen, and we're looking at just simply a difference in cost, raw cost of the drug. And part of the reason the problem in health insurance renewals is, is that the patient is paying a copay. So they don't know that. Right. So they're they're paying a fifty dollar copay or a seventy dollar copay instead of a ten dollar generic copay. And to them, it's a sixty five dollar difference. And they think it must be better because that's what the doctor prescribed. So that's the challenge is making sure the consumer understands that metformin is metformin. You take one pill or you take two. And this is the difference in cost. Your copay pay could be a generic copay of ten dollars or zero dollars or whatever your health plan has for generics. And instead, you're paying your second or third tiered copay to get the same drug. The problem is it's somebody else's money. And until we're engaged and they understand that it's their money, either by renewal in their health plan or something else, we continue to have that kind of problem. Thank you, Bob. No, I've got, and Amanda says that cleared it up perfectly for her. So thank you for that. Go ahead, keep going. Okay, so when we look at these things and we look at the cost of the healthcare system at large, we're dealing with some pretty significant issues. Projected specialty drug spending from 2012 to 2020 is expected to go as high as 400 
billion dollars. So when we look at these kinds of challenges, that's exactly what we see. And that's really important to know. Um, I've got a comment out there, Bob, I see on our screen. I don't know if you can see that and kind of give me an idea of what that is in a moment. One of our attendees has a comment and question. Yep, yep, I've got that. You ready for it or you want to keep going and come back to it? No, go ahead. Let's get them while they're okay. are asking. And so this person's asking about mail-order drug programs. Are they better or worse than going to the local uh, drugstore? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, better or worse is probably not necessarily the, the quantitative answer that we're looking for. But when we talk about mail order prescription drug programs, we're talking about whether or not the pharmaceutical benefit manager coordinating that mail order program really is involved in managing and controlling the costs and delivering that same prescription for a significantly lesser cost or not. Sometimes a PBM provides a lesser cost, but maintains a markup or what we call spread pricing. And that is really, really difficult to, to see or to manage. It's kind of a hidden cost. Most of us believe that a PBM is designed to help save money and because of the name, it's pharmaceutical benefit manager. And by, by nature, that means we think they're trying to manage the cost and control the delivery and make sure we're intact, but it's not always happening that way. Uh, one of our contributors out there today is, is mentioning that uh, brand name specialty is, is killing the budgets of self-insured plans. And on fully insured plans, carriers have side deals with pharma where they keep 100% of the rebates and are not transparent with their clients about those. And, you know, that's a really good point, Paul. Um, your, your response ran out of uh, characters, uh, I think. Let's see. Side effects. Yeah, they're not transparent with their clients. And, you know, it's not a question, but it is a valuable statement. I appreciate you, you contributing that, Paul, because that is something that we deal with every day, that pharmaceutical benefit managers, as they're called, are a concern and need to have a certain level of scrutiny that they may have never had before. The original purpose, as we think, is to control the cost and the delivery of the most appropriate drugs at the most appropriate cost, and instead they become distributors, wholesale distributors that make a lot of money. In fact, 20 years ago, we would have never thought that a pharmaceutical benefit manager would rise to a level of profit that they are actually buying the insurance companies for, what was it, 68 or $83 billion dollars? that we had one of these major PBMs yes. just by Aetna. So when you, when you look at that scenario, you really have to wonder where in the world this money is coming from for the PBM to make enough to actually buy the insurance company, number one. And number two, what's the motivation for them to buy that insurance company? So big, big challenges. And Roger, you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, you brought up the whole idea of where in the world. I've got a question from Mark who says, he's heard about the cost of drugs in other countries. How is that fair and what can we do here in the U.S.? So I think what he's saying is you can go to Canada or some other country and get your pharmaceuticals for much less. Well, can you address a, that? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point and a very good question. The unfortunate thing is nobody can answer the question about fairness because there's no such thing fairness in the prescription drug industry today. There's just simply no such thing as fair. 
Um, what we see in other countries is absolutely astounding on the differences in prescription drugs. I saw a chart one day that showed the the difference for the Hep C medication. And when you when you look at the difference by country, we're looking at 30 day supplies in the U.S. in the range of thirty two thousand dollars a month. And in the other countries, we saw those scale all the way down as low as eleven thousand dollars a month. I read an article the other day that that shows that in Egypt, those are down as low as nineteen hundred dollars a month because the the Hep C Incidence in Egypt is so high that the government is very aggressively negotiating and getting the price of that down to to a small percentage of what it is in America, and it, and that's typically a three month regimen. So you're talking about ninety six thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars a patient in America, and six thousand dollars a patient in Egypt, and in some other countries, the very same drug for thirty or forty thousand dollars is relatively routine. So. The access to those drugs is the challenge. It is illegal, technically, under the law, to buy prescription drugs from another country. The FDA has actually spoken, it has a policy in place to specifically not enforce that law or regulation upon individuals buying drugs for their own use. But corporate sponsorship or a corporation or a drugstore stocking their shelves from Canada or from another country is is outright illegal. And so this is part of why you've heard President Trump in a pretty aggressive sparring match with the pharmaceutical industry to try and force disclosure of their costs and at least a transparency to help get to that. Um, Paul's got another great comment. Oh, actually, I want to I want to ask you Kevin's question. I want to hear your answer to this. So Kevin asked, he's gone right for the juggler here. Why bother offering health benefits at all to my employees? All these things you're talking about just scare me. Can you respond to that, Roger? Well, <laughs> yeah, I can respond to that really easily. And that is, what is the alternative? If your employees don't have health care, they have, they're all facing a potential bankruptcy at one wrong turn, right? Whether that one wrong turn be in a highway or on a motorcycle or whether that one wrong turn be in a hospital with a staph infection or whether that one wrong term simply be the development of some critical illness, you know, to leave us so vulnerable um, as to not have health insurance. If you have assets to protect and if your employees have assets to protect, you've got to help them protect them. And there is no conceivable way that most employees have the ability to negotiate at the level an employer negotiates. And so there's some significant advantages there. Okay, thank you. So can I ask you another question? Or you said you had a question, I think, from Paul. Do you want to take that one yourself or you want me to ask you another one? Uh, Well, Paul's got another comment, but maybe we'll get it on the next slide. So go ahead. Okay, um, so why are these drugs so expensive? when they didn't all start out that way? And I think you covered that a little bit, but uh, I I think it's a really good question as I listen to you. Well, uh, I think we all saw the news about the EpiPen, the the critical response to allergic reaction or anaphylaxic shock is to use your EpiPen, which is a simple dosage of epinephrine, but it's in a delivery system that makes it easy in time of emergency for somebody to grab that pen jam it into their thigh, 
and the proper dosage of that drug is delivered in order to avoid potential death from anaphylactic shock and allergic reaction that cuts off their air tubes, their breathing tubes, or their airway, excuse me. And so that scenario, we saw those EpiPens driven up in cost radically. And, and so sometimes it's just plain profiteering. Other times it's the cost of development and research. And many of us can clearly state that a big part of the cost of prescription drugs today is television advertising. Uh, you can't watch television today without seeing prescription drug commercials. And all of those things, as in any business, increase costs. And when you see prescription drugs being advertised in the Super Bowl, you have to know those millions and millions of dollars are being made up somewhere. So the pricing is a real challenge. And I think that's, you know, they're driving demand in many people's minds. And I kind of tend to agree with this. They're driving demand in the consumer, telling the consumer to go ask their doctor if they need this. And some consumers are so convinced by a commercial that they will tell their doctor they need that. And if the doctor says, no, they don't need it, they'll go find another doctor until somebody's willing to prescribe the medication to them. And, and that's just a, another part of a crisis in a healthcare system that we're dealing with today. Roger Evans says he thought the uh, drug commercials during the Super Bowl were almost as bad as the Rams play. <laughs> So I, I thought you'd get a laugh out of that. I'm not, I'm not sure either team played that well, but that's the kind of much like the pharmaceutical industry, right? Which team is winning and, and how? I don't know. So. Very much. Very much so. I've got another question, Roger, from Carol, who says, don't we need these drug companies no matter what the price we have to pay for the, what they offer? Well, the answer is, yes, we need these drug companies. We need the the value of prescription drugs and what they deliver to preserve the health care. But when we say no matter what the cost, the answer is clearly a no. Because if we can't afford prescriptions, it's not going to help us any. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I went to a, a, a seminar. You know, I, I do admit my 32 years, even though you suggested I didn't, but probably uh, very early in my career, I actually went on a learning expedition and I went to a physician seminar on the ethics of healthcare rationing. And the physician told a story from the podium about, he was an oncologist and he was talking about a bone marrow transplant, which at the time was still pretty heavily an experimental surgery. And therefore it wasn't covered by insurance, but he was talking to the family about their grandfather and he's he had cancer, and the only way to save him would have been tried his bone marrow transplant. And in those initial conversations, everybody thought and assumed that health insurance would cover it. And the family was adamant. This is our grandfather. We love him dearly. We have to do whatever we can to save him. Let, let's do what we can. And then subsequent to that, everybody learned that this is an experimental procedure and that it wasn't covered by insurance. So the physician had to deliver the news to the family and say, well, this $70,000 procedure for this gentleman that means everything to you and we do whatever we can to save him isn't going to be covered by insurance. And the mm -hmm. family's tune changed to, well, he's lived a really full life and good for him and, and maybe it's time to let him go. Uh, yes. So, that's, so, well. so money, money drives decisions for all of us to some extent. And, and when you get to the point where you simply can't afford care, 
the system is clearly broken. So, Roger, uh, Tom is asking a question, and I think it's a really good one. He says he's a small business owner. He's got, got about 26 employees. He's not telling me what field he's in. And he wants to know, what do you do about all this? So can you, I know that's really specific, but can you sort of give some guideposts? Because you've shared me on this uh, in this webinar, and I'd hate for people to walk away with a, uh, it, there's doom and gloom. Sure. I, I will I will bring that right out to, uh, I'll bring up one of Paul's next comments and suggestions. You know, one of the solutions and for the whole spend is prior authorization and step therapies. These are a couple of procedures in the industry that are being used now to help control costs. Prior authorization means when this expensive specialty drug like a Duexis is prescribed by a physician, it has to go through somebody to authorize that benefit. And that somebody says, well, wait a minute, that's a $2,300 specialty drug that we can get over the counter for $8. Let's substitute that. And then they go to the physician and they get the physician's authorization to change that prescription and go over the counter and authorize it accordingly. Or if a very expensive drug is prescribed for some other condition where maybe there are other alternate therapies that are considerably less expensive and clinically just as effective, they're going to try that least expensive option first. And then the next option after that. And if for some reason those options are ineffective or intolerable by the patient, then only then do they move up to that prescription drug that costs so much more. But you know, once in a while, we find that drugs can't be tolerated. But let's get to it. One of the other things that's been suggested by a PBM that I work with that said very simply on these really expensive drugs, how many times, to Paul's point, they can't be tolerated by patients, but yet we'll take a $5,000 drug and we'll issue a prescription for a 30-day supply that the patient takes three days worth can't metabolize it, can't use it, or can't even tolerate it. It might cause so much nausea, pain, headaches, who knows what, that they can't keep taking it. And so this drug is lost. So the PBM, one of the PBMs that I work with will say, hey, we're going to give you a seven-day supply. And let's take it. Let's be sure that it's effective and it's tolerable. And once we know that you can tolerate that prescription, we'll issue the rest but why are we flushing down the toilet or throwing somewhere? In a, you know, I, I read online one day the way to dispose of, of prescription drugs is take your old coffee grounds out of the coffee machine, mix them all up in there in a baggie and throw them in the garbage so that they don't just get flushed into the, the system and water systems and water supplies and everything else. So there's some very interesting things about that. So there are ways to attack components of this cost. But each one of those ways is still only a piece of the puzzle because we have a very, very big problem when it comes to prescription drugs. Roger, now Dina has a question. Can we get drugs at a cheaper price from another country and do it through the PBMs? Or is that not possible? Most of the PBMs will not do that because that is a kind of a corporate reselling type of scenario. There are companies out there now that will navigate and help an individual consumer find out how to order their own prescriptions, mail order on their own to get that, and will help facilitate the payment process for that. 
So it can happen. It does happen. It's becoming more effective. Even municipalities are engaging firms to be able to counsel their employees to help their employees get better health care for less money. Um, but but it is not something that can be done necessarily directly through the PBM. It's got to be built in a different way. So that's something we can look at individually, case by case, but it's not something that you can just go out and buy off the shelf somewhere. So as I hear this, Roger, just thinking what you've said so far, it sounds like everyone's trying different methodologies to get around the core issue, which is this really high cost. Is Am, am I understanding this correctly? Well, yeah, of course you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm. You're the expert. I'm just trying to hear it, and it seems like we're 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 trying different things. You know, case by case, we're going overseas. We're trying to change the dosages. We're trying to offset. You know, have fewer um, uh, delivery of less in case it doesn't work. But we're still circling the target, aren't we? Well, we're circling a target, but we're, we're, I wouldn't say circling it entirely. We're using every one of those methods to get closer and closer to the bullseye. And, you know, in, in the world of, of this um, anecdotal dartboard that you suggest, if you have to, have to hit the second ring or the third ring, you're still scoring points. And, and you just have to keep scoring enough points to win the game. And so it's really important that we look at all of these things and do everything that we can to control healthcare costs. I mean, we didn't even talk about medical tourism, which is now reaching all the way down to be prescription drug tourism. We can send somebody to another country to get their prescription, have them stay there for the weekend, have them enjoy a five-star resort for the three days while they're there, they get their drug administered, they fly home, and we still save thousands of dollars. Now, and what kind of drugs would that be, Roger, just so we can understand? Well, what happens is there are some drugs that are refrigerated. So you can't do them mail order. You can't do them, you know, you can't order them out of Canada through a program that helps you get drugs that way. And so that individual is kind of left in a bind with no other choice. It's refrigerated. They have to do it. They have to get it administered right there on site. So in that scenario, they go to... New Zealand, Mexico, Cancun, Canada, somewhere else, have the prescription administered, and then come home and enjoy a nice trip while they're along the way. So there are, you know, any number of prescriptions, and I'm not a pharmacologist, so that's not really my specialty. And I, I know that if I had one on the line with us today, we'd probably get a whole lot of samples and ideas of that type of prescription. But I, I know that they're out there and we deal with them every day. Uh, Roger, did you want to? I cut you off on your presentation about 15, 17 minutes ago. Do you want to get back to it, or do you think yeah. you've covered the key points? Uh, let's let's touch base just for a quick moment. Uh, we'll talk about the PBM that that I mentioned here. That we presume that they manage the pharmaceutical benefits and they do it to control costs and to deliver quality and to provide the best in class treatment regimen and adherence. And they want to prevent abuse, overutilization, and overspending. And unfortunately, we, we can't so presume uh, because when you read PBM contracts, it is very difficult. Often, to manage the pharmaceutical benefit is to deliver profits to the BBM, to actually mark up drug costs to a health plan and keep the difference, spread pricing. It's written into some of these 
major pharmaceutical benefit manager contracts, even to the extent that they say we represent ourselves and not necessarily in the best interest of our client, <laughs> which just blows me away that they can even get that in a contract. But, you know, these long, long contracts that nobody reads because they think they don't have the education to read them. Some of these things they would see. They also keep all or a portion of these lucrative manufacturer's rebates or supplemental admin fees. Paul mentioned that earlier. In the fully insured world, all of that stays with the, with the fully insured carrier. So what the health plan is representing as a claims loss isn't always that much of a loss because there's a rebate coming back from the prescription drug manufacturer later on. And then, of course, they alter the prior authorization. I had one of my PBMs talk to me about some of the manufacturers now will actually go to a pharmaceutical benefit manager and say, we will pay you a higher rebate if you issue our drug without prior authorization. Meaning, we mentioned earlier, we want to manage care. Duexis comes in. It's a very expensive drug that has a very easy, identical, over-the-counter, or excuse me, yeah, over-the-counter alternative. And if prior authorization is required, that's going to be captured, it's going to be caught, and it's going to be redirected. But if you take it off the prior authorization list, we'll give you a bigger rebate because then we know it's actually going to be prescribed and be issued. And, and to me, that's nearly criminal, if not criminal. Uh, I don't want to make an accusation to that extent, so I'll, I'll qualify it with nearly, but it sure feels ugly to me. And so, unfortunately, those are kinds of things that we see in pharmaceutical benefit manager contracts. So that's part of what I think is really such a shame. And, and unless we have more questions and stuff, we are toward the end of the presentation, I do want to make sure everybody knows that if they click on the link down below or type it in, um, we are offering, we've told everybody, we're going to give you a, a fine cup of coffee, and we will make sure we send you a gift card uh, to that effect so that you can get a cup of coffee every time you attend, because we really like your, your input. I appreciate all of the questions, and Paul, your input has been valuable as well. We very much appreciate it. Thank you very much. If we have any other questions, we, have, we also, there, Roger, Bob. just I kept track of who we talked to: Kevin, Carol, Evan, I believe, Tom, and Naldina. So you were mentioning names. I wanted to mention a couple others. Really appreciate their contributions as well. I, I appreciate it from everyone. Um, if we have any other questions, Bob, or any other hands raised, let me I know. I do not see them. No, no. I think you've you, you've 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 left them speechless. Well, I, I'm not sure that speechless is where I want them, but I certainly want them coming back. And so we're going to keep them brief whenever we can. If we've gotten to that point, then I will just say thank you to everyone. You've been listening to The Benefit Roast, a weekly discussion sponsored by Benefit Indemnity Corporation. Employers in a wide range of fields are using employer-owned health benefits plans to deliver better benefits to their employees at a lower cost. Learn more at BenefitIndemnity.co. That's BenefitIndemnity.co. See you again next week.